Book Three, Chapter Six of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Three, Chapter Six. The Good Hope continued. The moans of the wounded baron blended with the wailing of the ship's dog. The poor animal, whether he was merely sick at heart to be separated from his friends, or whether he indeed recognized some peril in the laboring of the ship, raised his cries, like minute guns, above the roar of wave and weather, and the more superstitious of the men heard, in these sounds, the knell of the good hope. Lord Foxham had been laid in a berth, upon a fur cloak. A little lamp burned dim before the virgin in the bulkhead, and by its glimmer Dick could see the pale countenance and hollow eyes of the hurt man. "'I am sore hurt,' said he. "'Come near to my side, young Shelton. Let there be one by me, who at least is gentle-born. For after having lived nobly and richly all the days of my life, this is a sad pass that I should get my hurt in a little ferreting skirmish, and die here, in a foul, cold ship upon the sea.' among broken men and churls. Nay, my lord, said Dick, I rather pray to the saints that ye will recover you of your hurt, and come soon and sound ashore. How? demanded his lordship. Come sound ashore. There is, then, a question of it. The ship laboureth, the sea is grieveth, and contrary, replied the lad. And by what I can learn of my fellow that steereth us, we shall do well indeed if we come dry-shod to land. Ah, said the baron gloomily, thus shall every terror attend upon the passage of my soul. Sir, pray rather to live hard, that ye may die easy, than to be fooled and fluted all through your life, as to the pipe and tabor, and in the last hour to be plunged among misfortunes. How be it, I have that upon my mind that must not be delayed. We have no priest aboard. None, replied Dick. Here, then, to my secular interests, resumed Lord Foxham, ye must be as good a friend to me dead as I found you a gallant enemy when I was living. I fall in an evil hour for me, for England, and for them that trusted me. My men are being brought by Hamley, he that was your rival. They will rendezvous in the long room at Hollywood. This ring from off my finger will accredit you to represent mine orders and I shall write, besides, two words upon this paper, bidding Hamley yield to you the damsel. Will ye obey? I know not. But, my lord, what orders? inquired Dick. Aye, quoth the baron, aye, the orders. And he looked upon Dick with hesitation. Are ye Lancaster or York? he asked at length. I shame to say it, answered Dick. I can scarce clearly answer, but so much I think certain. Since I serve with Ellis Duckworth, I serve the house of York. Well, if that be so, I declare for York. It is well, returned the other. It is exceeding well, for truly, had ye said Lancaster, I wot not for the world what I had done. But sith ye are for York, follow me. I came hither but to watch these lords at Shoreby, while my excellent young lord, Richard of Gloucester, prepareth a sufficient force to fall upon and scatter them. I have made me notes of their strength, that watch they keep, and how they lie, and these I was to deliver to my young lord on Sunday, an hour before noon, at St. Bride's Cross, beside the forest. 
this chest i am not likely to keep but i pray you of courtesy to keep it in my stead and see that not pleasure nor pain tempest wound nor pestilence withhold you from the hour and place for the welfare of england lieth upon this cast i do soberly take this upon me said dick in so far as in me lieth your purpose shall be done it is good said the wounded man my lord duke shall order your father and if ye obey him with spirit and good will then is your fortune made give me the lamp a little nearer to mine eyes till that i write these words for you he wrote a note to his worshipful kinsman sir john hamley and then a second which he left without external superscription this is for the duke he said the word is england and edward and the counter england and york and joanna my lord asked dick nay ye must get joanna how ye can replied the baron i have named you for my choice in both these letters but ye must get her for yourself boy i have tried as ye see here before you and have lost my life more could no man do by this time the wounded man began to be very weary and dick putting the precious papers in his bosom bade him be of good cheer and left him to repose the day was beginning to break cold and blue with flying squalls of snow close under the lee of the good hope the coast lay in alternate rocky headlands and sandy bays and further inland the wooded hilltops of tunstall showed along the sky both the wind and the sea had gone down but the vessel wallowed deep and scarce rose upon the waves lawless was still fixed at the rudder and by this time nearly all the men had crawled on deck and were now gazing with blank faces upon the inhospitable coast are we going ashore asked dick ay said lawless unless we get first to the bottom and just then the ship rose so languidly to meet a sea and the water weltered so loudly in her hold that dick involuntarily seized the steersman by the arm by the mass cried dick as the bows of the good hope reappeared above the foam i thought we had found it indeed my heart was at my throat in the waist greensheve hawksley and the better men of both companies were busy breaking up the deck to build a raft and to these dick joined himself working the harder to drown the memory of his predicament but even as he worked every sea that struck the poor ship and every one of her dull lurches as she tumbled wallowing among the waves recalled him with a horrid pang to the immediate proximity of death presently looking up from his work he saw that they were close in below a promontory a piece of ruinous cliff against the base of which the sea broke white and heavy almost overplumbed the deck and above that again a house appeared crowning a down inside the bay the seas ran gaily raised the good hope upon her foam-flecked shoulders carried her beyond the control of the steersman and in a moment dropped her with a great concussion on the sand and began to break over her half-mast high and roll her to and fro another great wave followed raised her again and carried her yet further in and then a third succeeded and left her far in shore of the more dangerous breakers wedged upon a bank now boys cried lawless the saints have had a care of us indeed the tide ebbs let us but sit down and drink a cup of wine and before half an hour ye may all march me ashore as safe as on a bridge a barrel was broached 
and, sitting in what shelter they could find from the flying snow and spray, the shipwrecked company handed the cup around and sought to warm their bodies and restore their spirits. Dick, meanwhile, returned to Lord Foxham, who lay in great perplexity and fear, the floor of his cabin washing knee-deep in water, and the lamp, which had been his only light, broken and extinguished by the violence of the blow. "'My lord,' said young Shelton, "'fear not at all. The saints are plainly for us. The seas have cast us high upon a shoal, and as soon as the tide hath somewhat ebbed, we may walk ashore upon our feet.' It was nearly an hour before the vessel was sufficiently deserted by the ebbing sea, and they could set forth for the land, which appeared dimly before them through a veil of driving snow. Upon a hillock on one side of their way, a party of men lay huddled together, suspiciously observing the movements of the new arrivals. They might draw near and offer us some comfort, Dick remarked. Well, and they come not to us. Let us even turn aside to them, said Hawksley. The sooner we come to a good fire and a dry bed, the better for my poor lord. But they had not moved far in the direction of the hillock before the men, with one consent, rose suddenly to their feet and poured a flight of well-directed arrows on the shipwrecked company. Back, back, cried his lordship. Beware in heaven's name that you reply not. Nay, cried Greensheve, pulling an arrow from his leather jack. We are in no posture to fight, it is certain, being drenching wet, dog-weary, and three parts frozen, but for the love of old England, what aileth them to shoot thus cruelly on their poor country people in distress? They take us to be French pirates, answered Lord Foxham. In these most troublesome and degenerate days, we cannot keep our own shores of England, but our old enemies, whom we once chased on the sea and land, do now range at pleasure, robbing and slaughtering and burning. It is the pity and reproach of this poor land. The men upon the hillock lay closely observing them, while they trailed upward from the beach and wound inland among desolate sand-hills. For a mile or so they even hung upon the rear of the march, ready at a sign to pour another volley on the weary and dispirited fugitives. And it was only when, striking at length upon a firm high road, Dick began to call his men to some more martial order that these jealous guardians of the coast of England silently disappeared among the snow. They had done what they desired. They had protected their own homes and farms, their own families and cattle, and their private interest being thus secured, it mattered not the weight of a straw to any one of them, although the Frenchman should carry blood and fire to every other parish in the realm of England. End of Book 3, Chapter 6